Welcome to the midweek edition of Couch Potato Diary, coming to you from the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. Check them out online, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. You can find me, Twitter and Instagram. I am at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. A lot of exciting stuff happening over there. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. If you like the beats on this show, they're provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram, at Wasted Talent. There are X's where the A's would be. You can also find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. A lot to get to on the program today, but we begin with some exciting news. We would like to announce the winner of the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions Name the Mascot Competition. Congratulations to Samantha Bone, who won a five-hour free cleaning. Clearwater Cleaning Solutions would like to welcome their new mascot, C-Dub. The live studio audience in the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions <laughs> broadcast studio, uh, a big fan of this. And as soon as I just read that name, C-Dub, it's like, oh, well, that's exactly what the name is. A perfect name. And Samantha, congratulations. Your place is going to look spectacular after a five-hour free clean from Clearwater Cleaning Solutions. Um, again, congratulations for that. So, coming up on the program today, we have Tom Brady retiring, uh, Brian Flores suing the National Football League, the Calgary Flames apparently unstoppable, and we are a week away from the NBA's trade deadline. We begin with Tom Brady, as he has officially, officially, officially retired. You know it's official because he posted it on Instagram. And A, what a weird situation that all was going into his retirement where, okay, Tom Brady's retired. Ah, Tom Brady hasn't retired. He's coming on to radio shows saying, you know what? I haven't really thought about it uh, all that much yet. I haven't come to a final conclusion. Oh, wait, yes, I have retired. Like, it's a very odd situation. And the one thing I will say, like, reporters definitely get things wrong, but... This is one of the bigger stories that you'll break in a, a career. I don't think guys like Schefter are going to get that wrong. So it, it was it was a weird situation. I, I would love to know how that all went down. But either way, Tom Brady has retired. And we are at the point now where we all just basically accept he is now the greatest of all time when it comes to the sport of professional football, that there's basically no denying it now. You have to be one of the most hardcore Brady haters to deny this. If you want to point to on-field accomplishments, like look what he, he was the best quarterback for basically two, he was in at least the top three for quarterbacks in the NFL for like two decades. If you want to point to scoreboard, Dude has more Super Bowls than every team in NFL history. Think about that. That's insane. And to still be doing what he was doing at his age was incredible. You can say he's going out on top, at the top of his game, and he's 44 years old. I'm not even going to be at the top of my game in Madden when I'm 44 years old. And this was a professional athlete doing this. And he's looking better than guys literally a decade younger than him. You look at Ben Roethlisberger and the the last two seasons that Ben Roethlisberger had. And look at the last two seasons Ben um, Tom Brady had. And Brady, bit older than Ben Roethlisberger. So, just, uh, an unbelievable career for Tom Brady. And to me, there is no question that he is the greatest of all time. So when, when did that happen? Because there was a lot of discussion about it, but I, I do believe that he claims the, the undisputed GOAT championship. A lot of people were talking about it after the 14 Super Bowl. They, they lose in 15 in the AFC championship game. Then 2016, 
the comeback against the Atlanta Falcons where it was 28 to 3, the game is over, they're down 25 and Tom Brady leads one of the greatest comebacks. Probably no, not one of the. Leads the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. There was a lot of times where they kind of controlled games and it was it came down to kind of a last second field goal. This was an unbelievable comeback against uh a team that was like peaking at the right time. Everything was in place for the Atlanta Falcons. They had one of the top defensive coaches assumed at the time in the league as their head coach. They had one of the great offensive minds as their offensive coordinator. And Tom Brady just dominated them for the second half and claimed it. And at that point, you can't point to Joe Montana anymore. You can't point to Jerry Rice. At that point now, Brady has five Super Bowls, which is more than anyone. And then he just piles onto it. Sorry, he has six Super Bowls at that point. No, sorry, he has five. Um, he has five Super Bowls at that point, and it's like that. This is this is the goat. That there there is no denying it. And at that point, what's cool about it, like I just said, that's 2016. We had six more years of Tom Brady in our lives to to be able to enjoy his goatness. And admittedly, it looked like things were going to fall off. That 18 Super Bowl was not the prettiest of games, and the 19, it just didn't look great. Now, it didn't look great, and they went 12-4 and and won the AFC East, but then that last playoff game, he's overthrowing receivers, they lose to the Titans, and it's like, you know what? Maybe we've seen the end of Tom Brady. Maybe, maybe this is maybe this is it. He goes to Tampa Bay. We've talked about the effects of warmer climates on bodies. And all of a sudden, he looks like the greatest of all time again. And then he wins in Tampa Bay. And I think the importance of that Tampa Bay run to the overall legacy of Tom Brady is rather large. Like, when, when Brady leaves, and throughout Brady's career, there has always been a... Well, was it more Brady? Was it more Belichick? Who's to say? Like, is it is it more uh, the, the system? Is it more the quarterback? And the, the argument that everyone would point to when they were saying, well, it's obviously just Belichick molding Tom Brady into this, is the, the season that Tom Brady goes down with an injury. Matt Castle comes in, guy who never started a game in college and just got drafted just to fill a spot. He comes in and leads the, the Patriots to an 11-5 and record and helps them as my cat walks by the microphone and oh knocks God. things over, uh, I'm going to leave all this in. Um, he leads them leads them to within a game of a playoff spot, an 11-5 record with a quarterback that no one had ever heard of and wasn't very good anyway. It is one of the rare blips on the radar for the New England Patriots where they don't finish first in the AFC East and don't make it to the postseason. The The only time uh, from 2003 to 2019 that the Patriots don't make the playoffs is the year that Tom Brady wrecked his knee on like the third pass of the season and they still went 11-5. and five. But at that point, you're saying, okay, this is clearly the coach, right? Because Tom Brady, as great as all these games are and as great as this run is they have to go 16 and 0 in the regular season but if you matt castle can go 11 and 5 then is tom brady really all that good and then he goes to tampa bay and he's a hundred and he wins the super bowl and that was i think that did a lot to establish oh yeah no it it really was all tom brady and the real answer as with most things it lies in the middle right like it is very clearly You had the greatest coach of all time. You had the greatest quarterback of all time. And as we established later, the greatest player of all time. 
and you just had one of the greatest dynasties of all time. Like, that's that's what that gets you. It doesn't have to be, well, was it one or was it the other? It was the combination of two that leads to the greatest dynasty we've ever seen, maybe in sports. Think about it. Like, they, they've had a salary cap the whole time. And the Patriots went on a 20-year run where they won six Super Bowls, made it to two other ones. They made it to countless other AFC Championship games. I'm looking here. They lose in the AFC Championship game in 06, in 12, in 13, in 15. So getting within one game of going to other Super Bowls, eight Super Bowls in the, the span of 20 years, less than 20 years, I guess, it's 17 years. It's an incredible run, and you're doing all of this in a salary cap era. A lot goes into it, but I don't think you have this type of a run if you don't have the greatest coach of all time and if you don't have the greatest quarterback of all time. But today is not about um, showering flowers on Bill Belichick. This is about Tom Brady. But I do think the importance of that Tampa Bay run, A, it gets him the record where he has more Super Bowls than any other franchise in history. And that's going to last at least one more year because... The two that could tie him are the Patriots and the Steelers, and neither of them are playing next Sunday in the Super Bowl. So, hmm. But it, it's it really is a remarkable run, and it's like it's nothing we've ever seen before. When you think of the other greatests of all time in their different fields, like the, the first one to, to use this and the first one to kind of come up with the, the GOAT status is Muhammad Ali, and that's just his nickname, is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. And he was saying he was the greatest when he was like, 18 years old. He was child prodigy. Wayne Gretzky is getting drafted into the WHA when he's 16 years old. You have Michael Jordan, who, yes, he got cut from his high school basketball team, but in college, he's the best player out there. And then he inexplicably doesn't go number one, but this wasn't someone who came out of nowhere. He wasn't like LeBron, where he was marked as, this guy's going to be the greatest of all time, but we knew he was going to be very, very good. I wasn't around for Willie Mays. I don't know. He's kind of who I consider the greatest baseball player of all time. The one that I've seen is Barry Bonds, but as we've discussed earlier, there's a bit that goes into that. Um, and again, I wasn't around, so I don't know what the hype was around around Barry Bonds. Mike Trout kind of came out of nowhere a little bit, but he was a first-round pick. You look at some of the other individual sports, Tiger Woods was on, I think it was Letterman, when he's like three. You, not that everyone was like, oh, well, this guy's going to be fantastic. Look how great he puts at the age of three. But he was child prodigy. Tom Brady had a frat boy bod, was drafted in the sixth round to be a backup to Drew Bledsoe for the Patriots. There was nothing about him that was destined for greatness. That There was never any, hey, watch out for this dude. This guy is going to be the greatest of all time. There was, you couldn't even get someone to tell you, hey, this guy's going to be the best quarterback from Michigan of all time. That it just, that's not, there was no hype around this kid. And then all of a sudden, he gets thrust into the spotlight. And another fun part of this, because of how it ends, we don't think of it. But if he just goes on, plays another couple of seasons and just kind of fades into the, the, the background, we're looking at this like a Kurt Warner story where this is one of the great underdog stories of all time. This guy who the first Madden game that he's in is listed as New England Patriots quarterback number 12. They don't even give him a name in the video game. And he goes on to win the Super Bowl that year against the greatest show on turf, one of the 
great teams of the late 90s, early 2000s in the, the St. Louis Rams, he beats them in the Super Bowl. It is one of the great underdog stories of all time, and we just don't think of it that way because then it turns into a dynasty. They missed the playoffs in 2002, but then they beat the Panthers in 03, and they beat the Eagles in 04, and we are off and running. But it's, at least with some of the other guys who are thought of as the greatest of all time, you at least saw some bit of greatness coming. Tom Brady was drafted by the Montreal Expos to be a catcher, and they probably thought they had a legitimate chance of getting him because that football thing may not work out. That's where we were at with Tom Brady. Another reason why it's so unique, what Tom Brady did is, and it's something that Bill Simmons has talked about, you can divide Brady's career in half. He plays 22 seasons in the National Football League. You could go his 2001 to, we'll say to 2011. So that is a 10-year career in the NFL. He gets to, which is, by the way, would put him in one of the longer, like, that, that is a great run, 10 years in the NFL. In that 10-year span, he wins three Super Bowls. He gets to two more, loses on one of the g- craziest plays of all time, the David Tyree catch in Super Bowl, what is that, 42? I had way more confidence in my ability to read Roman numerals before I started that. But yeah, in Super Bowl 42 in 2007 against the Giants, they have that 16-0 season. They run through the Jags and the Chargers to get to the Super Bowl, and then they lose on Eli Manning escaping the sack, finding David Tyree, who pins it against his helmet, in a play that's going to live forever. And then you have the it, it, Mario Manningham, right? The, the catch in 2011 to also, again, help the Giants to beat the New England Patriots. Also in that 10-year career from 2001 to 2011, he makes one other AFC Championship game. They make the divisional round. They they basically they finish first basically every year in the division. They finish second as we mentioned in 2008, but that's not Tom Brady. They lose rather handily in a wild card round. They lose in the divisional round to the Jets who ended up making it to the Uh, conference finals that season, and then they get to another Super Bowl. So this is someone who would have been to five Super Bowls in 10 seasons, another AFC championship game where they lose in one of the biggest comebacks in NFL history to the Indianapolis Colts. That is a Hall of Fame career. So then if you start the second career, in 2012, two AFC championship games in 12 and 13, then wins three Super Bowls loses another Super Bowl, and loses in another AFC Championship game. So this guy was in the AFC Championship game every year from 2012 to 2018. Bit of a speed wobble in 2019, goes to the Bucks, wins a Super Bowl, and then almost completes the second craziest comeback in playoff history um, as they fall just short against the Los Angeles Rams. You can divide Tom Brady's career in half And both halves are Hall of Famers. We've never seen anything like it before. And we've also never seen a team just take a decade off from winning and then get back to being a dynasty. They they go a 10-year stretch between winning Super Bowls. They win in 04 against the Eagles, and then they win again in 2014 against the Seattle Seahawks. In there, as mentioned, a lot of AFC Championship game losses, a couple Super Bowl losses. But I, I can't recall a dynasty just kind of stopping and starting again. Like the, the only the only thing that really comes to mind is the Pittsburgh Penguins with Sidney Crosby, where they have the, the back-to-back Stanley Cup, um, the, the battles with the, the Detroit Red Wings, and then all of a sudden they're down for a little bit, and then they pop back up and they win a couple more Stanley Cups. 
this just, this doesn't happen in sports, especially in salary cap eras in sports. There is so much of the Tom Brady story that we're just never going to see ever again. Another part of this is this was a glory time for Boston sports. And it's a, a sporting city that kind of needed that, right? Because you look at the, the the Celtics, they have that great run with Bird in them, but then it falls off a cliff for a while. And the Boston Bruins, the closest they came to a Stanley Cup was Ray Bork winning a Stanley Cup with the Colorado Avalanche in 2001. And the Red Sox, they have their curse, but then the Red Sox hit their stride with the, the idiots in 2004. You have the Celtics during this run getting Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. They win a championship with anything is possible. You have the Boston Bruins who have been good for going on a decade now. They win the Stanley Cup in 2011. And you have this Patriots dynasty. You went from a sporting city that was the lovable losers to the sporting city that was the dynasty in the span of 20 years. And this kind of closes that book on it, right? Like the Bruins are still kind of holding on to that, but the the Celtics appear to be in some form of a transition. Um, you, you have the Patriots obviously in their form of a transition. And for Boston, for the, the Red Sox, like they, they won the title in 18, but then Mookie's gone. And now this feels like a, another era. And you're certainly separated from the 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 idiots era and now you have David Ortiz going into the Hall of Fame right around the same time that Tom Brady announces his retirement it's it's an interesting run for a, a great sports city in terms of how things affect the current day NFL when you look at who might have the best chance at getting to Tom Brady's level the the first thought is Patrick Mahomes but it's crazy to think he might have already run out of time and again we we talked a bit in here about how the, the Patriots had kind of a 10-year break and they were still able to, to do some amazing things. But Patrick Mahomes, in his first four years here as a starter, he has won Super Bowl. In Brady's first four years as a starter, uh, he had three Super Bowls. And Mahomes has been close on a couple of occasions, but now this is two heartbreaking AFC championship losses in, uh, for him in this span. And that just shows how difficult it is, where it's already... This guy is the most talented quarterback maybe that we've ever seen in the NFL, and he is going to come up short of this. You look at, like, maybe Joe Burrow because he's going to the Super Bowl in his second year, but I don't think anyone believes that Burrow is going to have the, this undisputed run. What's probably going to happen now is we're just going to have a run of great quarterbacks, but none of them are going to be at the level of, of Tom Brady. And in terms of what happens next, I think this changes once again the quarterback outlook in the NFL. We talked about this when Aaron Rodgers and the, the Green Bay Packers fell in that AFC divisional round game and how that kind of is a domino effect for the rest of the league. I think this is another one because before I was thinking Aaron Rodgers maybe to maybe to the Vegas Raiders and then see where Russell Wilson ends up. Maybe he goes to the Giants. But now that there's an opening in Tampa Bay with a team that's pretty ready-made for a championship, and there will be changes there, of course. Like, Gronk's going to be gone. Um, I would guess Godwin's gone, but we'll see what they end up doing at the quarterback spot. Maybe Aaron Rodgers just shifts right in to the Tom Brady spot. He goes to Tampa Bay, and that changes things now. Because now it is... You have an extra job opening without an extra quarterback, uh, an extra elite level quarterback becoming available. I wonder now, does this mean Russell Wilson goes to the Raiders or do the Raiders even now make a change at all? I, I think this is another interesting domino, but I, I think Tampa Bay, depending on what they do, immediately becomes 
the most interesting quarterback destination. Just you saw what they did with a dude who was 40. The other big story from the NFL, by the way, if you hear any um, residual noise in the background here, uh, they are working on the hot water tank in the place below us. So there's, uh, once again, lovely bit of construction going on. The cats are losing their minds and it's quite loud. So if you hear any of that, my apologies. No one's breaking in. I'm not in any danger that I know of. Um, it's just they're working on the, the hot water heater. So know that I'm thirsty, but know that I'm okay. The other story in the NFL is Brian Flores. Uh, as soon as I said that, they really started going. Brian Flores is suing the National Football League for discriminatory hiring processes. And this is just a remarkable story. First of all, like, I hate to say it comes out of nowhere because a lot of people have been seeing this trend for a long time, but not often does someone of the caliber of Brian Flores do this. A lot of times it's someone who is out of the league who feels they shouldn't be out of the league. But this is Brian Flores, who is clearly, I think, one of the best options out there as a head coach and one of the more intriguing options out there as a head coaching candidate. And so that this adds a few different layers to it, but it, it does seem like basically what he is trying to do is get the quiet part said out loud. And again, I understand I am a white dude in Calgary talking about issues of race. There are levels of this that I, I don't fully understand, but from the outside, it does seem like that there is some form of a problem. And it does seem like the leash is a lot longer for coaches um, who, who are white than for for minority coaches like I, I don't I don't want to say Brian Flores was fired just because he was black but it does seem like a lot of times uh, a black coach gets one or two years less leeway than white coaches end up doing and we, we've talked before about how this whole thing is just built into the system like you have well we're only hiring these guys because they are the like the, the the most qualified assistants well why are all the assistants being white well it's because da, 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 da. like you're the minority coaches aren't even getting the entry-level positions that are required to move your way up into these head coaching positions so it go like it is a wide systemic problem and hopefully I don't know what Brian Flores is hoping to accomplish with this, but I, I hope that this is something that really shines a light on a lot of these things, and hopefully something changes. Tony Dungy wrote an open letter a year ago saying that this needed to change, and now, now Brian Flores uh, isn't going the open letter route, he's going the lawsuit route. The interesting part of this is Brian, um, uh, sorry, Bill Belichick's involvement in this whole situation, because you can't tell me that Bill Belichick one of the great minds in the history of the National Football League, has been a coaching genius for 20 years, is going to make such a simple mistake as texting the wrong dude a congratulatory thing. Like, that there's, there is just no way that I believe that Bill Belichick, I get, like, he plays dumb technology-wise, where I'm not on the face space or my book or whatever those things are called. Like, I get he does that, this is someone who has to have a pretty good grasp on communication uh, for the job that he does in running a professional football team in the year of our football gods, 2022. I I wonder if he, this was kind of him nudging Flores in this direction, being like, hey, 
I can't tell you that you're just the token interview in this, but they've already made a decision. So this is how I'm going to, to tell you it. I wonder if that, that is it, or if he just made a mistake, like maybe I'm just reading too into it, but are too much into it. But I'm very interested in seeing what happens next because Flores is so clearly one of the best options out there, but it would so clearly be a weird situation if he gets potentially hired by a team in a league that he's suing, but you can't just directly blackball a guy because that's illegal on a number of different fronts. But if you're the NFL, you don't really want someone actively suing your league, just walking around on your sidelines and being available to the media on a weekly basis. And then God forbid, if you're the NFL and he wins the Super Bowl and you're handing the Lombardi trophy to a guy who you might also have to hand a giant check over to at some point, it is, it's a situation like we've never seen before and good for Brian Flores for again, trying to get the quiet part said out loud. music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. And you can find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. To the NHL and an incredible comeback for the Calgary Flames last night as they come from 3-1 down and looking dead in the water to all of a sudden they were leading that game, a dominant third period, and the Flames come away with a win. And that was one of those games it was 3-1 going into the third, and it didn't feel that close. Like, it felt like that game was over. And then they score, and it's, oh, hmm, well, maybe there's a game in here after all. And then it was just goal, 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 and it was over. And it was just like, oh, my goodness, an unstoppable third period. And it starts with something we've talked about with the Flames before, a phenomenal shift by the fourth line. And I have been extremely critical of the Flames' fourth line for most of the season. And I think the addition of Ruzichka on that line, who I've been a fan of for a bit, it's, it, A, it's great to see him getting this opportunity, but it's also showing if that fourth line gives this team anything, that top line's one of the best lines in the NHL. And that second line can be a problem. Manchapani getting his 20th goal of the season in the comeback win last night. This is a team that can be very deep and can be very difficult to play, but that fourth line has to give them something. And Ruzichka has established that now this fourth line isn't going to be just a, a giant black hole on a night in night out basis, and you're seeing the benefits of it. I thought he and that line was able to really establish something for the Flames and really get the ball moving in the, the right direction. But this is a giant win in the playoff race. The Flames now two points clear of the Dallas Stars for that last wildcard spot. And points are weird because they're all over the place right now with different teams playing vastly different amounts of games. But the fact that you steal two points away from a team that is directly behind you in the wildcard standings and then get those two points for yourself, it is a gigantic swing in the standings and it feels like a major blow to a Dallas Stars team that's kind of been scratching and clawing all season to get to this point. That that feels like a real deflating loss for Dallas last night. And it's a couple of things for Calgary that have, I mean, they've taken a bit of a, a break in the, the media narrative, uh, widespread anyway, over the, the last little bit, but this continues a phenomenal breakout season for Oliver Shillington. And I will admit, I was out on the dude. If you, you heard me at my last job and even a little bit at this place, I, I just thought that it was a, an extremely talented kid who never quite figured it out. I was talking about replacing him. I was talking about giving looks to guys who had never played in the NHL. I was just, I was over it with Oliver Shillington. And it has all clicked in a major way for him this season. And I think a big part of that is the Tanev effect. And when you look at valuable free agents 
Tanev has to be one of the bigger ones that the Flames have had in a long time. You look at the effect that he had on Noah Hannafin a season ago, and now the effect that he has had on Oliver Shillington this season. This is the exact type of, or the exact reason you bring in a Tanev to that locker room. And the exact reason, you look at the opposite effect that's happened in Vancouver, where Hughes has not been the same since Tanev left. I understand you can't pay role players star player money, and I had those concerns about Coleman, and I admittedly had those concerns at the time for Tanev. I was saying if this is a guy who could stay healthy, he's one of the best defensemen on the Calgary Flames. We just haven't seen him stay healthy, and now he's getting old. That tends to not be a great combination, but the Flames believed in it, and it is paying off in spades. I do think this is going to be a decision that leads to other decisions that aren't the best for other teams because you're going to see, well, look what Tanev did there. We can now justify paying this older player $5 million and he's not worth that and then it all falls apart. But this is the best case scenario for the the Calgary Flames when you sign a player like that and I I don't think it's a coincidence that a couple of guys who you pair with Tanev on back-to-back seasons all of a sudden have the, the best seasons of their careers. As far as... A bit of a downside on this one. Markstrom didn't look great last night. It's eight starts in a row for for Markstrom. And you wonder if this dude needs a bit of a breather. And when you have now, you're coming up on a stretch where there's going to be a bunch of games in a row for the Flames as they play some makeup games here. There's obviously like a, a bit of a break coming for the Flames. But you have uh, a stretch for Calgary where like tonight's game against Arizona... They then they have a week off, but then you have back to backs in back to back weeks and three straight weeks. Basically, the rest of the way, there aren't a whole lot of spaces here. You're going to need your backup goalie to come in and really shut the door. And Darth Vlader has been doing that all season long. Uh, I'm sure I'm pronouncing his name wrong. Don't care. It works for the pun. But this is where the quality backup quarterback, or sorry, backup quarterback, backup goalie comes up huge because I think Markstrom's going to need a bit of a breather a couple of times here. I, I would I would sit Markstrom again tonight. I know he sat for the third period. I would I would start his vacation now and let him take an, an extra break and see if he comes back fully restored because the Flames are going to need that from him down the stretch. As we look at the rest of the NHL, sneaky good schedule tonight and sneaky important schedule. Um, but Seattle and the Islanders, both teams have kind of fallen off uh, various cliffs. Uh, at this, I mean, the Islanders are NHL 500, but still it's not been awesome for them this year. But you have an Edmonton team who needs to start turning it around against a Washington team that once again is... I mean, definitely going to the playoffs, but their playoff positioning is very interesting as that division's really, really close. You have the Kings who refuse to fade away against a Red Wings team that also is hanging around in the playoff race. You have a Minnesota team that's not fading away against a Chicago team that uh, they've fallen off, but they're maybe trying to hold on to something, but overall definitely fallen off. And then Calgary taking on an Arizona team that is exploding, but Calgary, again, in desperate need of points. Like, you have... Aside from that uh, Islanders-Seattle game, every game on the schedule has some meaning tonight, and we're going to get a lot of that. It's going to be a fun, fun close to the season in the NHL, although I'm a little worried about the the East getting a little bit stale. There's only so many times you can sell me on, man, big battle for playoff positioning tonight. In the NBA, we're a week away from the trade deadline, and there... I, I 
I just had a, a subject here, most interesting teams heading into the deadline. And then I went through the standings and it's, oh, basically half of them. I think the obvious one is Philadelphia. What do they do with Ben Simmons? You are having an MVP type of season from Joel Embiid in an East that feels wide open. All due respect to Chicago, if Philadelphia can get something for Ben Simmons, Philadelphia becomes the favorite. I don't see them stop. I don't see Chicago stopping Philly. I don't see Miami being able to stop Philly. Brooklyn is all sorts of crazy right now that they are in a bit of a tailspin in Brooklyn. And I don't think it's going to happen, but like Kevin Durant is hurt and James Harden is huge. And the Brooklyn Nets are a game and a half away from falling into the 7-8 game, which would be against Toronto. And either way, Kyrie Irving would not be eligible to play in those games. Now, we don't know what the border situation is going to be like by the time the playoffs roll around, but Kyrie's unvaccinated self, at current time, is not welcome in the country of Canada. And he can't play games in Brooklyn. So you would then be without Kyrie Irving for a play-in game against the Raptors. Or if you ran into the Raptors in a playoff series he wouldn't be able to play in any of the games. It's a weird situation in Brooklyn, which is to say Philadelphia would have the edge on them. And Milwaukee, while they're only a game and a half out of first and 32 and 21, have not looked like dominant Milwaukee really at any point this season. The East is right there for Philadelphia. And if they don't take advantage of an amazing Joel Embiid season, you don't know how many more of those you're going to have left. The guy's not 100, but he has the body of a 100-year-old sometimes. <laughs> and we, we've seen big bodies tend to fall apart. We're at a different time in sports science, but we already have injury problems on this guy's resume. You cannot waste this. I, I think it would be very, very stubborn and very boneheaded of Philadelphia to not move Ben Simmons by the trade deadline. A couple other teams that I am interested in for basically the same reasons, the, the Hawks and the Grizzlies. They're, they're not in the same spots in the standings. You have the Atlanta Hawks currently sitting in 10th, although again, with the East being what it is, they're only eight games out of first right now, but they, they are currently in that last play-in spot. They would be traveling to Boston in the 9-10 game, but I lump them in with Memphis, who are having a breakout season. They're seven and a half games out of first, but they sit in third in the, the Western Conference and very comfortably in that third spot, but you have two teams that have exciting young guards and a couple of, you have the A-level talents in Trey Young and John Morant. Both teams have interesting B-level talents, but they might have too many. And I think both of these teams have a few of the pieces that would be necessary for one of those four quarters equals a dollar move. Memphis more, maybe more so than Atlanta, but Atlanta may be more desperate for this than Memphis. If you can put together uh, a big deal for a potential needle mover, one of those teams really goes over the top. Because as we mentioned before, Atlanta, it wouldn't take much to get over the top of Boston, Toronto, Charlotte, and then get into the mix for not needing to get into the play-in in the Eastern Conference. And then for Memphis, you are right there with Golden State and with Phoenix. If you get another dude, it has to work with what they're doing, but if they can get another dude, I think that they can really be a threat in the Western Conference. In terms of who could be the sellers on the market, that would be the Indiana Pacers. And it gets affected a little bit with Miles Turner's in, uh, injury, but they can really shape the market with guys like Sabonis, to a lesser extent, Levert. I still think there's something there with Levert, but it has to be in the exact right situation. And Miles Turner continues to be the apple of my eye, although he is dealing with an injury issue right now, and that affects different trade values. But 
the the Indiana Pacers, I think, have the direct line to whether this is an interesting trade deadline or a blase, oh, look at this, all these guys got traded so they could be bought out, um, sort of a, a trade deadline. Other teams I have an eye on in terms of are they buyers or sellers, the Knicks and the Wizards. Both teams who had higher expectations, both teams that I had higher expectations for coming into the season, I thought the Knicks would be fine and right there in the mix for a 4-5 spot in the, the Eastern Conference. And the Wizards, y'all know, they were one of my teams this year, and I was... The, the chest was high and proud with how well Washington was playing, and that has fallen off of a cliff. They now have a negative point differential. They've lost six in a row, seven of their last ten. They are only a game out of the play-in right now, but they are six games out of sixth place in the Eastern Conference. They need to figure out what they are doing with Dinwiddie and with Beal, and if they want to move, because we talked about before, they just have a lot of good basketball players. Do they want to move those players and try to get a difference maker around Beal, or do they blow things up? Because they could be another team that'd be really interesting if they decided to become sellers in the next week. For the Knicks, the expectations were high. You got the Garden rocking last year. Julius Randle and RJ Barrett look like the next stars, and Randle just hasn't recovered from that playoff series, and Barrett has been too inconsistent. I, I think this is a smarter Knicks organization than ones we've seen in the past, but a missed opportunity is not something this team can afford. I don't think that this team can afford to go backwards right now in the East, especially, like, th there was no way in my mind Toronto was going to be ahead of the Knicks this year. And I, I didn't think Charlotte would be ahead of the Knicks this year. That there, there are still opportunities to be had for this Knicks team, but I wonder if what we're seeing now is a bigger problem in New York. It, it is starting to seem like last year was more the outlier season than the, the season that you can build around with the New York Knickerbockers. Uh, just kind of rapid fire on a couple of other teams. Dallas, because they've hit a, a real hot patch and they have a couple of guys that they don't have the salary cap space that if they lose um, Finney Smith and Brunson that they can just replace them. It, it would kind of be, you'd be losing them for nothing. You'd probably get some kind of sign-in trade, but you also have a very good team and do you want to be giving up these guys? But then if you lock them in, are you locking in at just being very good and not being able to get to that great status when you have a potentially great player in Luka Doncic? So salary cap forcing some interesting decisions in Dallas. I'm fascinated what Minnesota does this year. They're in the seventh spot, so they are in a play-in game. They're two and a half back of Denver for sixth and that automatic spot in the NBA playoffs. It's been so long since Minnesota's been good. I wonder if they just try to get a little bit better. And then a couple of teams that they're competing with, teams in LA that share the same building, the, the Clippers and the Lakers. The Clippers, there's a lot of people who think Paul George won't be back. We have no idea what Kawhi is going to do. Kawhi is someone who could be in the starting lineup as they're about to tip and just like, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm actually not feeling it. I'm out. And then miss another two more months. Like you have no idea what this guy's going to do. And the Lakers, we've talked at length about how the experiment just has not worked with Russell Westbrook. They've lost seven of their last 10. They're in ninth right now in the NBA's Western Conference. If the playoffs were like they used to be, they wouldn't even be in a playoff spot right now. As it is, they have to play Portland in the uh, the, the play-in game and then have to get by either Minnesota or the Clippers in the, uh, the the last playing game. So they have to win two playing games just for the opportunity to take on a Phoenix Suns team that still doesn't have double-digit losses on the season. I wonder if the Lakers, there's talks that they're trying to, to package uh, Taylor Horton Tucker and the only draft pick they're allowed to trade 
for something that there's been talk of Gary Trent Jr. That is definitely not happening with the Raptors. There's been talks of trying to get a big package out of New York. Two teams just desperate for some kind of change. I don't really see that happening. I don't know what the Lakers move is, but they do kind of desperately need to do something. And we'll see what the Clippers do. If they just kind of punt on this season and try to get a couple of assets and a little bit of space for next season, or if they just try to squeak in and hope that your star players are back in time for some kind of miraculous playoff run. But either way, it's going to be really interesting in the NBA this season. That is going to do it for Couch Potato Diary today. Once again, congratulations to Samantha Bone. I hope I'm saying your name right. Um, Samantha has won a five-hour free cleaning. Coming up with the name for the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions mascot, the new mascot name C-Dub. Fantastic name. Congratulations, Samantha. And you are going to love how your place looks after five hours with Clearwater Cleaning Solutions. If you want to get in touch with me, Twitter, Instagram, I'm at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. You can email the show CouchPotatoDiary at yahoo.com. The music that you're hearing provided by Wasted Talent. Check, that, uh, check them out on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X is where the A's would be. You can also find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. New episode of We Had No Idea came out this morning. It is on the Russian doping scandal. This is one of the wildest stories in sports history. So if you're a sports fan, definitely go over to that feed. You can get it wherever you get this podcast and download that one. Just subscribe to that one. Catch up. We're only 30 some odd episodes in. They fly by. Uh, so go download those. You can check out that show on Instagram at We Had No Idea podcast going to do a twitch stream tomorrow morning with the all-time flames team on twitch.tv slash primetime pk and then i'll be back on here chatting with y'all on friday have a good one i'm out